Win stacks of cash by entering the 150K Crack the Code giveaway. Brought to you by your local paper, now through July 14th. Look for the code on page A2. Then visit 150kgiveaway.com and submit your entry. You could win the grand prize of $100,000. Grab the paper every day. Get the code on page 2A and improve your chances to win tons of weekly cash prizes. Visit 150kgiveaway.com for details. Started. Okay, so I'm here today with Daria Devlin, uh, the former coordinator of grants and community relations for the Erie School District. Uh, she's recently been named executive director of the new Erie Center for Arts and Technology, uh, an after-school program for at-risk students and adult career training program. Um, we've just been walking around the Wayne School, which will be the new home of, can I call it ECAC, ECAC is that yeah. fair enough? Yep. Um, and so Daria, I wanna talk a little, you're, a little bit about your tenure with the school district and the, and the work you plan on doing here. But before we do that, I want to kind of just widen the lens a little bit, um, just so people understand you're an Erie native, yeah. product of Erie's public schools. Yes. Uh, graduated from uh, Central High. Yes. Uh, Colgate University. Yes. You and your husband, Neil, made your home we back did. here in Erie. Yes. And. Um, before this, even working for the school district, you had you know worked with the Ophelia Project mm -hmm. and the Partnership for Public Schools. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about that evolution mm -hmm. and where that sort of passion for students and public education comes from. I think that probably the thing that shaped me the most in my entire life is my time in Erie's public schools as a student. Um, I went to Pike for Burley when Pike for Burley was brand new, mm -hmm. and I loved it there. I loved learning. I loved the teachers I had. And looking back, I realized that it made me really comfortable with lots of different kinds of people. Um, it was just a very diverse population even then. That was the early 80s. And it really shaped me. And so I was at Pfeiffer for most of elementary school. And then my parents, like a lot of parents, got nervous in the middle school years, pulled me out, and I went to Catholic school. So in Catholic school, I was around a whole different group of kids. And I really look back and think it's just made me really able to kind of move in different circles and, and connect with different people. Um, when I was done with elementary school, I wanted to go back to the public schools, and so I asked my mom if I could go to academy. My parents were very nervous, you know, this, we don't know, we're not sure, um, but they knew some families who had sent their kids there and went up and met with Rupert Statmiller, he was the principal, and really were impressed, and so I started at academy and then continued on um, even when it closed and finished at Central. And I think that that just prepared me so well for my time. When I went off to Colgate, I had a full ride, um, full ride. They paid for everything. Um, and I did well there, and I realized how much that was because of the teachers and the preparation that I had had. And so it just left a mark for me. And so when um, I knew I wanted to come back to Erie, really more about my family and my church connection. Um, so when Neil and I, we lived in Pittsburgh for a while, Neil was in law school, and then when we decided to move back, um, I was adamant that we were going to live in the city. I just um, felt very passionately about paying taxes and living in the city and supporting the public schools. So we bought our first home in the city, and then when it came time for our own kids to start school, I said, you know, I, I want to stay here and I want us to put the kids in the public system. I had some great connections, people I still knew from my time, people like Bob Oliver, who were still around, and so they were great, and they, you know, we got to see some schools, and they made us feel really comfortable. And so, you know, that passion for the schools and believing that they had shaped me, and I knew so many great kids that I had come up with 
that were also products of our system, I just felt like this is the way forward. Um, and my oldest son started kindergarten right about the time that the district's budget crisis started oh, happening. So like 2010, um, you know, we were reading in the paper and my husband was saying to me, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know, and, and he was a young attorney and all of his colleagues were living in Fairview and Mill Creek. And I was like, no, I, we have to stay. And, and I think that we can advocate when we advocate for our kids, we'll advocate for others. And, and I think that's really important. So that's when I started grant writing, um, and I got involved in the nonprofit sector mostly because, you know, I wanted to do good. And so I could write, and I was staying at home. I was a stay-at-home mom, so that was something I could do in my free time. So started grant writing, um, doing some fundraising development work, and then thought, like, why don't we do this for the school district? So went to Jay and said, hey, you know, will you let me raise dollars for, for the district? And he did. Um, and so I was kind of doing that work on the side. And then when the district needed some help with grant writing, he came to me because he knew that I was passionate about it. So yeah, that's a pretty long answer. But it was really always about, I really care about the city. And when I say the city, like the, the city boundaries, Erie City. And, and I always felt that people like me needed to stay. We needed to buy the homes and send our kids and pay the taxes because if we don't, then we just kind of let the city crumble while those who are more challenged and more disadvantaged, they're left and, and in many ways they don't have much of a choice. And so those of us that had a choice needed needed to do that. And, and when you joined the district, what year was that? I joined, um, I started grant writing in 2012, 2013. Um, and then I took over as communications in 2015. And remind me what the landscape was at that point in time. I mean, that was right in the middle of the crisis, right? Right. I mean, the grant writing that period of time was fine, and it was just part-time. Um, but then in 2015, my predecessor, Matt Cummings, left. Uh, it was right when Jay went to Harrisburg and decided, like, hey, let's shut down the schools. <laughs> and, um, we were between communications people because Matt had left and we were looking for, for a replacement. And, and to be fair, you know, Jay and Matt had said to me, why don't you do it? And I said, oh, I, I couldn't possibly. It's too big a job and I have small kids and um, I wasn't interested. But then it kind of just was thrust upon me. And, you know, Jay was announcing that we're going to shut the district down. It was the middle of the state budget crisis. That's right. really what started it all. Right. You know the, the fact that the state was in um, in the impasse and so we weren't getting our funding and it was hitting us really hard and so you know all of a sudden it started to snowball into let's have a rally let's talk about this and that was right when Jay came to me and said I just need you to do this work and mm -hmm. can you just take it on and, and I did um, and it was incredibly challenging and exciting and it filled all of my need to kind of advocate for the district and so I'm, I'm so grateful to have been a part of it. How did you guys even approach that on a day-to-day -day basis? Were there sort of, were there war plans? Were there sort of? <laughs> Some days there were war plans. Some days it was just Jay. He was passionate and, right. and he acted in the moment. I think we were really blessed to have that. We needed that. And ultimately that could have been the consequence, right? I mean, it, it wasn't It wasn't crying wolf. It, it wasn't was, crying it was, wolf. We could just do this now because that's where we're headed. Yeah, and, and I mean, during yeah. that budget, the state budget impasse, I mean, we were going to run out of money. I mean, there was no, there was no question about that. We, they were holding bills. We weren't paying vendors. I mean, we were going to run out of money. So, you know, those early days, I think, were very much reactionary. But then once the dust settled right. and we started to look at the numbers, and to be honest, 
Brian Polito being there at that moment right. to dig in and understand that then allowed us to say, okay, we really get this and there's a story to tell yep. and we need to bring the community along with us. And so I think then there really was a plan for how we want to do that. And that was very effective, mm -hmm. made an excellent case. It, we did. And I think for me, it was a great opportunity to, to tell the story, things we all knew. Like I knew there's something wrong when I can drive by McDowell and see what they have and then just come a few miles and see what Jefferson School looks like or what, what at the time Central looked like, there's something wrong here. And so I think that Brian's numbers allowed us to tell that story with you know a lot of detail and, and I think the community just responded to that. Because again, I think it was things people already kind of knew, mm -hmm. they couldn't understand why and, and we helped them understand why. Just ignited the community. I mean, it wasn't just us saying it, it was everybody talking about it, it became the thing during those years that everybody was worried about. And so then, you know, our state legislators, obviously, and, you know, we had um, Senator Laughlin come along and he became a big advocate for us. So it just, like I said, snowballed and then led us to that moment, which was, that was the game changer. And amid all of that, you're going through the, the reconfiguration. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I remember those days really well, I think we in, um, and it, it just made sense. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, closing the schools and and recreating Central and Erie High. I mean, those were huge tasks. But what I learned from Jay was sometimes hard things have to be done and people will not be happy. But if you listen to them and if you give them the space to tell you why they're unhappy or what they're worried about, you can generally bring them along. They might not always agree, but you at least make them feel heard. And that's a lesson I'll take with me forever. I think that's right. really critical. And, and, and that all of those changes could have been something that tore the community yes. apart for a very long time. Yes. And I think the way you navigated it, getting input from everyone and being very transparent about what you were doing and why you were doing it, when you were doing it, and how you were doing it mm -hmm. helped shepherd the whole community through that moment. Right. And the district was really like all over the place. We had so many different configurations and you had kids at one school getting something that kids at other schools right. were not getting. So I think once people saw like, this is also going to level everything out, it just makes good sense, people could begin to get on board or at least understand why we were doing it. And then the planning continued after the reconfiguration. Yeah, I mean, because I remember that summer, you know, we got through all of that and then it was like, we still at that point hadn't secured the 14 million. I mean, the, it had been talked about, right. but it wasn't right. in the in the budget yet. So, you know, we still had to kind of keep that up. And then really this idea that, okay, now we got the money, let's never be wasteful of it. I mean, right. let's, make, let's make it count. Right. All the sacrifice, all the things that everybody went through, the whole community, let's make it count. And so, you know, then this idea of a strategic plan to really lay out what the future would look like and to begin to talk about the future, that was really exciting as well. Uh, how do you feel about where the district is situated now? I think financially they're in a great spot. I think the challenge now is to make the what happened during that time of crisis was just because we had to, we highlighted so many negative things. We, we had to. We had to bring people in and show them how the schools were falling apart and show them how the kids weren't getting you know, a lot of the things that they were getting in the other schools. And so it did some damage. Unfortunately, I think it was necessary, but I think it did some damage to kind of the, the PR of right. the district. Right. And so the challenge now is to change that narrative and say, 
we've solved the problems, we're working at it, and this is a great place for your kids to be. Because all along, there were great kids there and great kids, great families. We just were not able to tell those stories. And so now it's time to shift and to say, let's tell the stories of the great things happening, the great kids, and why your kids should be here. Um, that's the challenge. And the charter school, I and mean, that's part of the charter school. Well, and that's 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 one of the big focuses now. Absolutely, right? Just, you know, we they they to stay financially stable, they've got to stop the kids going to charter school, and that's going to require a marketing campaign. Did that answer those questions? It did. Great. It did. Great. It's fantastic. Um, so, ECAD, mm-hmm. Erie Center for Arts and Technology. Um, how did this all get? Yeah, so interestingly, way back when I first came on at the district, I was in executive leadership team meetings when Jay was talking about Manchester Bidwell because he was part of the initial group to go down and see it. Um, And he was interested, you know, it was a little unclear, like, well, how would this work with what was happening at Central Tech? Do we really need this? We have the neighborhood centers, you know, so I don't think anybody at the district was really sure. And then, of course, our crisis hit, and so no one was thinking about anything else. But I heard those conversations, and so I was at least aware of what it was. Also, just moving in the nonprofit sector, a lot of people that I knew and respected, people like Tom Tapitza and Amanda Brown System, they were talking about it, so I knew a little. Um, then when the job, when they became started to um, advertise locally for an executive director, I had been quietly looking for a position, mainly because I felt like the job I had come to do at the district I had done, and they probably needed somebody with a different skill set to take them to that next level with the marketing that I mentioned. So I was, you know, quietly looking, and, and um, Boo Haggerty, the chair of, of my board, um, texted me and said, you know, I'd like you to look at this. And so I read the job description, and then I did some research and started to see, well, what is this model? What is it about? Why is everybody excited about it? Um, and I just got really convinced that this could work in Erie and really could be a game changer and apply for the job. And tell people about the model, like for yeah. folks who hear, they hear that term Manchester Bidwell a lot that maybe don't fully appreciate what, what we're talking about. And I didn't even understand where it came from. So Manchester is the area of Pittsburgh where the center started. And you don't know about Manchester because it's really been a forgotten part of Pittsburgh. It's right on the North Shore. It's not far from the stadiums now. Uh, when I went down and visited, I was like, oh, I know this. Um, but, you know, Bill Strickland is a, um, was a really at-risk black man in his, you know, late teens, young adult in his late teens. He was in high school. He was failing. Um, he was not doing well. He was in danger of dropping out. There were race riots happening in Pittsburgh at the time. It was the 60s. Um, his community had been pretty much torn apart by poverty. They had run, I think, some major interstates through there. And so it had really was a community that everyone had forgotten about. And he feels like his life was saved by the arts. His ceramics teacher saw him at school one day kind of fooling around and said, come in here and try this. And he did. And you know, according to him, it made him feel like he could be successful at something. And it let him work with his hands and fail and try again, and it taught him the lessons he needed to get him through the rest of high school. So he felt it saved his life. So he graduated from high school, decided to share that with more at-risk youth. So he was doing some, he called it the Manchester Craftsman's Guild, doing some ceramics and things, like from his porch in Manchester. And then at about the same time, um, he was asked to take over a place called the Bidwell Training Center, which was like a government-funded training center for, for adults. And, you know, he tells the story that he went in there, and it was probably like this, falling apart, you know, leaking, all of that. And he thought to himself, how could anybody have any hope about anything 
right. working in a place like this. So he completely revamped it, um, and he was successful and, and started these job training programs, or at least took them to the next level. And so as he moved forward, he was like, I want to do both of these things. And so he formed Manchester Bidwell um, down in that neighborhood in Pittsburgh. And there's lots of stories about people he brought on board, really important people that gave him the money to do, to, to put his vision into action. Um, and then he formed what's called the National Center for Arts and Technology, which is an organization meant to replicate his model, to take his guiding philosophy and replicate it in other cities. And so they've done it in San Francisco and done it throughout Pennsylvania and then in Chicago and New Haven and all these places. Um, but it's all based on Bill Strickland's idea, three principles, people are assets, um, environment shapes behavior, and creativity fuels enterprise. And when I read his book, that really made a lot of sense to me. Given your experience yeah. in the district, in the city. Everywhere. I mean, this, yeah. you know, and just human nature. Right. I mean, you treat people a certain way when you make them believe that they are assets. You know, we talk all the time about asset-based work, not deficit-based. What are people good at and how can we help them see how that can lead them to be successful in their life and an environment? I mean, I, I know myself and, you know, Brian Polito is very open about that. Many of the schools in our district are in great need of repair and I think that that takes a toll on kids and on teachers when you have leaking roofs and when you have floors that are cracked and when your gym is falling apart you know it makes you think I'm not worth anything more than this and maybe your neighborhoods and, suffering and as well absolutely right? so if everything in your life is like that you can yeah. see how people begin to take on that really deficit mindset Whereas if we can change that environment and give them a place where, I mean, in, in Pittsburgh, if you walk into their center, Bill's got artwork on the walls that are worth thousands of dollars. And his point is, the single mom who rides the bus to get here every day is worth it just as much as a CEO in a high-level business in Pittsburgh. She is worth this art as much as anybody else. So how will it work? Uh, what will be offered? Who's going to be here when? Um, well, maybe we should even back up first and just talk about this facility. We're sure. sitting in the Wayne School right now. Uh, the Wayne Primary Health Clinic is on the first floor now, but it's otherwise pretty much empty and mostly cold. And mostly cold. <laughs> and lots Which is good, because sometimes it's really hot. Um, so I was hired in January, and um, I, I did my due diligence. I visited a lot of the other centers. Visited Pittsburgh, visited Sharon, visited Brockway, even visited Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, in, in Pennsylvania, Strickland has formed a network of these centers, and he is taking them really to the state level and showing that this is a network that's training adults and making a dent in our workforce development needs. And so he seems to be fairly confident that there could possibly be some state funding for okay. centers like us down the road. However, that's all dependent upon that workforce development piece. Correct. That's Governor Wolf. It's a huge Absolutely. priority just for him. Absolutely. Say that. So you know, I was advised. Yes, you're going to do some youth arts programs. That's the Manchester Craftsman Guild part of this, and those are going to be wonderful. But your funding, your sustainability, is going to come from your workforce development work. So we have to be licensed by the Department of Education to do that work. And we can't start our application until we have a physical location because they need to license a space. They okay. need to see what your classrooms look like. So very quickly, once I was hired, I said, we got to figure out where we're going to be. 
And my board, who had been around about two years prior to my hire, they had looked at sites. I mean, they had already done okay. some of that work. So we went back out and said, let's really start looking around. And we looked at leasing. Some, we looked at um, leasing in Lovell, um, Rick Griffith's property over in Lovell Place. That was a good option for us. But it was here at Wayne because of Primary Health Network being in the building. Drew Pierce, who is the CEO of Primary Health Network, sits on the board of the Sharon Center for Arts oh, and Technology. Okay. So Drew called Boo Haggerty, my board chair, and said, why don't you guys buy Wayne? And we'll be your anchor tenant. We want to be in that building. And what's interesting about Primary Health Network, they've been wanting out of this building for quite some time because they're jam-packed. They're out of space. But any movement on their part would lose their clients because most of their sure. clients walk here. Correct. So the conversation really took off. Um, and so that led us, because some people have said to me, well, East Erie Turners is for sale on Parade. Why didn't you buy that? Um, but it was because of this anchor tenant. Correct. That makes the math work. Um, and so that's how we came to this idea of Wayne. And then, um, you know, we looked at it. We brought, I have some, uh, we have a project management company we're working with. We had them come through it. We had some architects come through it. And Boo Haggerty and I continue to say, we kept waiting for a wall. We kept waiting for a, this is not going to work. And it didn't come. Mm -hmm. And so we just kept going and going and, and reached this point where we think we have a really, really exciting project. And for Hammett, this is a neighborhood they've already put a footprint. They were the original creators of the health center Correct. downstairs. They're the community school, school partner. partner. They put in the playground across the street. I didn't realize that piece That of was it. just this spring. Okay. So they already had a footprint here. Right. Um, and I should add, there's a deep connection between Manchester Bidwell and UPMC. Oh, I didn't know that. So Bill Strickland sits on the board of UPMC in Pittsburgh, and Jeff Romoff, who is the CEO, I think, of UPMC, has said that wherever UPMC makes a major investment, he wants one of Strickland's centers because the training that takes place there creates a pipeline for employees mm -hmm. for them. And so with UPMC's investment in Erie, it was really almost from UPMC corporate to say, you got to get one of these centers up and running hmm. in Erie. Um, so this neighborhood where Hammett already was, you know, had a presence, made a lot of sense. I love, I live in an old house, I, I live in an old house on State Street. I'm all about old bones and rehabbing. So I liked that aspect of it, you know, and my board did too. And it was the right neighborhood. I mean, these are the people that we want to serve. So it made sense. So uh, you have designs. Mm -hmm. Um, you need to get the rest of the funding. You do. And so what kind of calendar are you working on in your own mind? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I want to be clear. The, the offer we made to the school district has a 90-day contingency right. with it. So if we can't put together what's coming to be about a $9 million project, if we don't think we can put that $9 million together, we can back out of the deal. Now, every day, Boo now texts me every day, only 82 days left, only 81 days left. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, it's a little stressful, but I think we both feel, and my board feels pretty confident that we can. We have some donors that we think are interested. We're kind of cultivating them. We brought some people through the building. You've got to have some vision when you walk through here. But we think we can put together, so if I talk about a $9 million project, I think we can do a third in philanthropic donations. I, I'm fairly confident of that. Um, the next two-thirds, we're going to be a little creative and use a new market tax credit, mm -hmm. yep. which apparently, and, and I, until someone tells me I'm wrong, I'm going to keep saying it, no one's made it work, a new market 
right. project work yet in Erie. And I've had some really interesting conversations. It's not for lack of trying. It's just the size, the scope, everything has to be right. So the folks I've talked to in Harrisburg and Pittsburgh have said, this is perfect for new markets. So the way that would work is we would get about a $2.5 million new market investment, which is really a loan. It's a tax credit that a, a business buys and then they make the investment in us. It's a, um, it's a loan for seven years. It's low interest, interest only. And at the end of the seven-year period, the loan's forgiven. The note goes away. So that's like $2 million right. of free money. But in order to get that, we have to bring to the table the rest of the deal, which right now is about a $3.5 million gap which will either have to get in some sort of very creative financing from a traditional lender or perhaps a social lender, someone like Bridgeway Capital perhaps that does this. So we have a lot of irons in the fire. We're talking to a lot of different people and I think a couple of these are gonna work out the right way, hopefully within that 90 day window. And all we need in 90 days is for our board to say, we think we can make this work, let's right. just commit. Um, and so, what would the window for the construction be? Or can you start programming right away in some fashion, or the, do you have to have the building The going? workforce development cannot start until we're certified by the state. The state and get yeah. all of that in So place. that really cannot start. My hope, and I'm gonna keep saying it, is October 1st, 2020, is when we okay. would open our doors and be fully certified and ready to go. The construction on the building fits in that timeline. Okay. Uh, we're already working with some architects. Um, you know, we already have some pre-design work done, and I've spoken to them and told them, and they feel like, yeah, that, that's totally reasonable. The, the vast majority of the building needs are structural and mechanical. I mean, it's roof and windows and electrical and boiler. Um, there won't be a whole lot of other stuff done, so I think that within that time frame it can work. So we're still going strong with that fall of 2020, we can be fully open. We could do our arts programming somewhere else, and we're talking about that. Does it make sense at this point to lease space and do those? Or if it's only gonna be a year, does it make sense to just put all our efforts into this project, which is a big project. And it could be, that could be very distracting if you're yes. trying to manage, juggle both of those things at the same time. And I can't and run, I mean, I, Right. I say, you know, I, there's things I can do. I cannot run art classes. It's You're not, a staff of one right now. Right. right. It's just me. Yeah. So we would have to hire those right. instructors. And is that the best use of our capital right now? So those are conversations that the board is having. We are definitely doing a summer pilot in photojournalism. We've committed to that. And it's something we're really excited about. But it's possible maybe we do a, you know, a summer pilot for a couple weeks. Maybe we do something over winter break for a couple weeks. I think there's some different ways we could keep the work going mm -hmm. without full-scale programming until the building's open. Mm -hmm. and, and you mentioned um, the center's helping to serve UPMC's workforce needs. Is that part of the reason why the health care is, is uh, what was it? What, the medical assistant? Medical assistant. Actually, that's the, the Bidwell model. Um, all of the centers oh, okay. everywhere have some medical, medical some something tied to healthcare. I think that's because in many of the communities, for example, Grand Rapids, I think it's Mayor, Meyer Healthcare. That's a big, they're a big presence. They're mm -hmm. just big employers in the communities. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important for us and for the model that we're training people for jobs that exist. Correct, yeah. That we're training people for jobs that are approaching living wage. We are not interested in minimum wage. We are, it, it's just not gonna get people out of that generational poverty, so it really needs to be a middle skill, middle wage position. Mm -hmm. That's why the medical assistant fits so well. Um, so we're definitely gonna start there, but I'm having conversations with other major employers to say, what do you need? You know, What's your entry level? What does it pay? 
and what kind of skills do you need? And we're positioning ourselves to say, we think many of you need to diversify your workforces. So yeah. let us help you do that by sitting in this neighborhood and creating these programs and then creating that pipeline for you. Can I speak to the continuum with community college? That's what I want. That's where I wanted to go next. Thank okay. you for yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a big one. When I um, Yeah, how does it how does it layer in with those plans? I mean we don't it's not a proved yet, but we're still hoping that that sure. comes through. Sure. When I interviewed for the position, I think I asked more questions of the board than they asked of me, and that was a big one for me. How is this not, you know, duplicating service? Right. How is it not going to do the same thing that Bishop Brock is doing at Eagles Nest? Like, you know, I have great respect for the people in this community that have been doing this work for a very long time. I am not interested in stepping on their toes and taking that away. So tell me how it's different. And what was explained to me and what I really believe is we are a point on the spectrum, on the continuum of service. So if you can imagine a person who maybe didn't graduate from high school, they can't come to our program without a GED. So they need somewhere to go for that GED. If they show up at our door, we gotta send them somewhere and we are not creating a GED program. So we need kind of that lower level work to get people you know, at that level. To get that GED, they might need math and, and reading remediation. We are not offering tutoring classes. So they need somewhere to go, community college, neighborhood center, something like that. They also, many of them need to learn how to just hold a job. So get on time every day, pass a drug test. I mean, we hear those are challenges. That's stuff that people like Bishop Brock is doing and he's doing it very well. So, you know, let's have all those groups keep doing that great work and maybe community college fits in there. Then people can come to us. We are gonna serve probably 50 adults a year. I mean, our training programs are gonna be nine to 10 months, it's like school. So maybe 50 adults, maybe 75 adults a year. They're gonna need to be ready to commit to five days a week. 8 to 2.30 classes, you know, an externship, all of that. So they need to be prepped first. So they come to us, we put, you know, we get them trained. And then afterwards, maybe they want to continue on. I mean, if you go to work for UPMC, I know they provide tuition assistance if you want to go on and become a nurse. So we now need somewhere to send them. So community college would be a great next step right. for them. So that's how I see us fitting. We're not taking people that aren't ready for any kind of workforce development, but we're also not at the top of the food chain. We're just right in that middle space to get people that first middle skill training. And in the neighborhood, I mean, between the community school here, the work you're doing here, the mayor and the planning team are working on a plan right. for part of the east side right. here. Um, what are the, what's the transformative potential of all of these things coming together? I mean, there's a ton of potential. In fact, when we started looking at a space, some people said to go downtown. You know, oh, downtown's where everything's happening. you got to be there. And I'm like, no, we need to be in the neighborhoods because I think this is a prime example of perhaps part of our population who feels a little left behind. Oh, so great. There's all this wonderful stuff happening downtown and there's all this investment. But what about us? You know, where's, where's the investment in our neighborhood? And I really think that we can almost be, not the first money in, because certainly others have invested here, but we can be the start of that, where we say that we connect the neighborhood to all the other economic development work that maybe is happening downtown. And I really like that idea. We bring people along, that they can now take part in that new economy that everybody has. Empower them up building. with skills. Absolutely. I mean, if, if it's going to be healthcare, great. We're going to train them right for it. You know, if there's other things that are, that are needed in the community, let's get these folks trained so they can take advantage of all this great stuff that's happening so no one gets left behind. I mean, I, I think that that's really critical. Plus, if you look, I mean, East Avenue has a lot of potential here. That 
strip mall on Sixth Street on East East Lake Road there, where Sanders 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 used to be. Oh yeah, you know that's empty now. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is other potential for investment in this right. neighborhood. So I kind of love the idea of being this this beginning of maybe a you know a revitalization of this neighborhood. I mean, certainly the residents deserve it, and certainly it's not been the focus of a ton of investment yet. And so between the school district and I, you know, I'm sure you're very busy right now just with with all kinds of details and plans and phone calls and that sort of thing, but but you would have had face-to-face encounters with families and, and people, stakeholders over here for the last several years. Absolutely. Do you have any sense how aware they are of what's happening here or or? I, I would, to I would doubt doing. they're very aware, but I will tell you, having been involved in the school-based health center that was put in this building, I, we all, I think, learned a lesson that just because you build something doesn't mean everybody will come to it. Mm-hmm. So I know that in pretty short order here, we have to get out and start talking to them about and letting them know what we're doing. Like, just because it's in the newspaper might not mean that that they're fully aware. Um, there is this great tie-in with that community, you know, census that's happening. Uh, a lot of those folks that are kind of the boots on the ground are people I know and I have known for quite a few years. And so I think that there's some great synergy where we can be kind of arming them with that information. Another group that I think as long as I'm, you know, working in my professional career, I have enormous respect for groups like Daryl Craig and the Blue Coats. Yes. And I mean I've talked to Daryl. I know that they will be with us as well to help get that word out. I was gonna ask you if there was some role that they would play. Because yeah. I know you're very tight with I'm very, them and they've been partners very, with you. Yes. I'm very close with, with him um, personally and professionally and, and I trust him and he lives right up the street. Uh, and he knows the neighborhood, and so I, I definitely think we'll be utilizing, and not just him. I mean, as I said, you know, Bishop Brock is not very far away. I've met with Bishop Brock already to make sure he's aware of what we're doing. So if we haven't, we will, in very short order, make sure that we learn the lessons. I think that you know you can't just assume people know or will be excited, and we'll help the residents understand what we can be. And again, I think as I said about Jay, um, you know. People are not always going to be happy. I've even heard some criticism about this building. You know, why are they taking that building, and why would the school district sell it for half of the price that it was being, you know, that they were asking? And so I get it. I mean, there will always be criticism, but I think I'm of the belief that the more you talk to people face to face, build those relationships, show people that I respect you enough to explain it to you, and, and hope that you, you know, support it. Or even if you don't, I took the time. I think that will definitely be our approach. And my board, I have a great board. So Marcus Atkinson sits on my board, Danny Jones sits on my board, um, Ainsley Brosley from the Children's Museum. I've got a lot of people around me who have their own connections and I think we'll all be leveraging those as we move forward. I was struck by something you said early on when you were talking about like the need for people to take a stake in the city mm-hmm. and, and take ownership of it and live there and pay your taxes there and work there. Um, how are you feeling? You made that decision a long time ago. Right. Um, with everything that's happening right now, how are you feeling about that decision and the prospects of, of where things are headed in the city? Did you expect us to be at this point? I don't know if I had thought about it, to be yeah. honest with you. I knew that personally that's how I had to face myself in the mirror every day, so yeah. I was going to do it. But I'll be honest with you, like I am one of many. I, I know so many families that have made the same decision. and. Maybe you know it's quieter, or maybe people aren't aware. But like tons of families, families I knew at Jefferson, at Wilson, at East, at um, at Harding, at Piper Burley, 
families who are making this decision to say, this is where we want to be, we think we have something to offer, we want our children to have a diverse experience that's important to us. So I personally am very hopeful. I think that we'll continue to see that build. I mean, we know there are challenges that, that we all face, and in the city certainly we have not worked everything out yet. But I am very hopeful that that trend actually will continue in the next number of years. And I think, too, environmentally, I mean, there's lots of conversation about, you know, people driving everywhere and kind of living far from services. And so I do think over the next number of years, we'll see that trend. It's already happened in most of the major cities. Right. People have moved back in. Now there are challenges that come with that. We have to be really careful about issues of gentrification. And I totally agree. But I think we'll see more and more people making that decision um, as the city continues to grow. Is there anything that we didn't talk about in relation to your work, your mm -hmm. this project? I really want to make sure people understand and are aware of the fact that we put this building back on the property tax rolls. I yes. mean, back when we talk about yes. investment and all of that, um, you know, that was that was our idea. We, we came to the Erie School District with that offer. They then asked us to put it in writing, which we agreed to do. Um, but it was really important to us to say, let's not only take the building off their hands, do something great with it, you know, I know when I was at the district, people would say, well, this serves your kids. Well, yes, it serves the Erie City School kids, but more importantly, the district has financial needs to serve the kids as well. So you can't discount that. But I think doing that, you know, offering the, you know, offering we think is a reasonable price and then agreeing to put it back on the rolls, we're just really proud of that. And, and we hope that that maybe sets a bit of a, a standard for others as they're beginning to do this kind of work that, you know, that that is what we need. We need that property tax base to, to be expanded. Actually, that I'm sorry, that brings up a question I had too. So if I read things correctly, it, the, the classes in that are free? Mm -hmm. No services cost. Are free? So where are you getting your money? Yeah, I get it. Taxes? I get it. I get it. Um, so Bill Strickland is very careful to say that classes at the centers are no cost, not free, because we need your blood, sweat, and tears. You've got to commit. So you're putting something in. It's right. just not money. Um, again, we're hopeful that there will be some state allocation that comes down the road. We're hopeful that the employers who benefit from well-trained employees will contribute. Um, we are applying for a host of tax credit, state tax credit programs, NAP and NPP and EITC. So we hope that that okay. will also support it. Most of the other centers, I mean, that's that was one of my first questions, like, how do we make right. this sustainable? That's all worked. The other thing I'll say is in Grand Rapids, I was really impressed, like 30, a third of their budget comes from social enterprise. That means they're running a business and they're making money that's coming in and funding their program. Oh, so for example, they're running a t-shirt company, the kids run it, print it, sell the shirts, the money comes back in and funds the programs. And what great experiences for those great, kids. Right? right, so for us, having a building this size, who knows what could come out of that, we right. could have a for-profit arm. Um, just owning a building and having all these tenants creates a revenue stream Correct. for us too. Okay. So that's where we get to that sustainability. Um, and we've run the numbers, of course, we're going to be like any other nonprofit asking for donations. We hope the community will support us, but I think we'll be a little more creative in how we get some revenue streams in. Okay. And we did take a tour earlier, nice atrium in the, in the opening, uh, daycare, uh, gymnasium, community area. Mm -hmm. uh, the medical clinic will be moving up to the fourth floor. Right. You'll have commercial space on the third floor, classrooms on the second floor. Right, and then what am I missing? pharmacy on pharmacy, the ground floor right. as well. Right, okay. And you know, UPMC is, 
We've had some conversations just about social determinants of health. You know, how do you take a neighborhood that is one of the one of the most unhealthy yes. in the entire state? Um, and there's lots of research around what employment does, what you know, positive um, opportunities for kids does. Having perhaps you know healthy food or or access to doctors in your neighborhood, what that can do. And so I think what we see this building as being something that in, can impact all of those dif different determinants of healthcare and raise the health of a neighborhood. And have they done that anywhere else, or would this be would Erie be forging a? No, I mean I. I'm hesitant to say I know of a place. I know that many of the centers, for example, in Brockway, that's co-located with a whole lot of other stuff. Community okay. College actually is co-located where okay. they are in their building, you know, in the arts and things like that. So I'm not sure that anyone's taken that really health-focused approach, but I think here we have, we have the freedom and the flexibility with all this space to really get interesting and creative mm -hmm. about bringing in services that can raise up the health of the whole community. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You're welcome.